It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. All right, today we're going to take a look at a pitch deck from Voyager. It is a precise dosing mechanism. We're going to get into all of that. Just like all of our pitch decks, we take a look at the seven tips to a successful investment deck. We'll be ranking these based on seven criteria. Number one, will Voyager identify their business plan goals? Number two, do they know their audience? Three, do they understand the market? Four, are they going to identify needs and roadblocks? Five, will they know what sets the business apart? And six, will they introduce the team and uh, product? Finally, will they create a summary with a call to action? Let's find out to help us do that. Katrina Glogowski, angel investor and attorney. Thanks for being back on the Talking Hedge. Thanks, Josh. All right. So taking a look at Voyager, skipping their disclaimers, hitting right at the... Um, what is this called? This is your total addressable market. This is your favorite slide. This is amazing. So Josh, did you know? Yeah. No, go ahead and tell them. For those that don't know, Katrina, you go ahead and tell them. Did you know that the cannabis market is approximately billions of dollars? Got billions and frillions of dollars. Yes, if you can't see this, the chart goes off the graph. It just explodes off the top. And... <laughs> No, uh, it's kind of ridiculous. It's trying, it's like trying to explain the, the price uh, increase of Bitcoin. It's just like straight up pretty much. Um, but so going into uh, Voyager and their issues, uh, their problem statement, if you will, um, basically people have barriers of using cannabis, whether they want to stay in control or whether it's the smell, they don't like the smoke, whether it's too strong or they don't know how it's going to make them feel. Um, the solution according to Voyager, is Voyager. <laughs> so <laughs> consumers are looking for alternative ways to consume cannabis that are precise and smoke-free. And you know, for the longest time, at least 2019, this has been something that investors have really been wanting to have is accurate dosing. So how do you replicate having one alcoholic beverage? How do you replicate that feeling where if you know that you're going to get tequila, <laughs> That that's what's going to happen. So that's essentially what they're trying to do here is accurate dosing. And there are um, some other uh, competitors trying to do this, but um, we'll see if the secret sauce comes out with Voyager. We'll see. So they want to develop a pocket-sized dispenser for consumers to precisely dose their cannabis consumption in two formats, being oil drops for sublingual use and then in your beverage. So you can just drop that in your coffee and have what we call a Northwest Speedball. So yep. you have a little cartridge, you can insert that, dispense it, and then enjoy it. So although kind of big, it is portable. Um, it's about as big as, you know, like a one of those tobacco vape pens. Like it's really big. It's going to fit in your pocket. It reminds me of my cell phone from, you know, eight years or, or actually, God, that was a long time ago, 15 years ago. <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. Honestly, they're they're touting its portability and it and it looks sort of, thick and heavy it might fit in a back pocket but for those of us who wear jeans that that fit um <laughs> it'd be a very tight fit <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah it might fit on your belt or something you know like those big old cell phones so ready to drink cannabis rtd so um a lot of investors a lot of people are, are wanting that i would prefer if we had grab and go coffee here uh, i think this is going to be um they're gonna have more com 
more of a, a competitive advantage now than they will when the U.S. legalizes, because as soon as you can go across states, beverages are going to explode. Right now, the biggest drawback or roadblock is trying to um, have redundancies. If you want to create a beverage company that's really expensive to go across state lines, that's great. But when you can't, no one is going to replicate all of their manufacturing for beverages. It costs way too much money. So this is an alternative to um, to that scenario. So right now they've got first mover advantages of trying to get ready to drink beverages into the market. They just are hopefully going to have some strategic partners to help them along the, the way. Uh, yeah, I think this is a proposed solution to the to the expense and manufacturing of, of the beverages, Josh. Mm -hmm. Some of the downsides is high waste, you know, with environmental footprint, a high cost per unit, lack of customizability. Um, for cannabis companies, again, there it's going to be a lot of SKUs, more shelf space, a high cost for manufacturing. Um, these are all issues that they're going to have to get over as well. So. The simple, precise, and convenience of Voyager. Uh, dosing made simple with an interchangeable pod without cross-contamination with a tamper-proof pod and app connectivity. So I definitely like having apps. I like the data. I like what they're able to pull from that. Um, you know, what are you smoking? When are you smoking? How are you smoking? All of that data is worth probably a lot more than the unit itself. Right. So they've got some patent pending technology, integrated dispensing mechanism with the pod dispenser, communication, uh, pod volume sensor, and accurate and customizable dosing. So all of those things sound really expensive. And I'm wondering if the semiconductor shortage, that chip shortage is going to limit their ability to manufacture these. Um, so that would be something I would want to ask Elad Barak, the CEO of Voyager. What is interesting here to me, Josh, is the pump is in the pod, and that's that's nice because it keeps it clean and uh, makes me question the cost of the goods sold, though, uh, when you're getting a new pump every single time. Um, also, uh, with an RFID tag on the pod that might satisfy some track and trace situations, uh, but... Um, what if you want to take 100 milligrams and you don't want anybody to know? Uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see what they say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good point because that's what I would use it for. A lot of us don't buy edibles. I buy RSO, um, Phoenix Tears or Rick Simpson oil because of the concentration. You can use one gram of that. 100 milligrams at a store isn't going to do anything for me. I mean, literally, it's not going to affect me at all. So um, getting RSO is the sidestep for that. So if this isn't at least 100 milligrams, I'm definitely not going to use it. Right. And I think that's kind of their target market is people who have a higher tolerance and lower tolerance to precise dosing if you want exactly five milligrams. But for me, I can get five milligrams at a store all day long um, for convenience and price. I'd probably go that route. This is going to be something for people who don't have access to a store and or are concerned about dosing. They want it to be the same every time. Um, you know, we had mentioned also the, the, the it, it's kind of interesting to have kind of that dynamic. If you were to use something and I really like the effects, then maybe you can send that to me uh, if I have your device with your cell phone and your information. So being able to share that, I think is really interesting. The technology behind it is interesting. Um, it definitely solves the problem. 
Um, but price point, maybe we'll get there and see if it's accessible. I do like the sharing aspect. Uh, hey, I tried this product, uh, this Blue Dream, and I had these effects. You should try it too. Um, and that gets to the data that you're talking about uh, with all these strains and strain names out there. There's just not a lot of solid consumer research behind it to confirm uh, what effect you may or may not have. Uh, and that, that data aspect is very interesting, Josh. Yeah, something that the anecdotal evidence of um, Leafly, for example, is interesting, but that requires individuals to be active and honest about it, whereas this, um, I think, is passive. They can just pull the information without having the individual having to input the data. So I like that even more because it's easier to have um, more precise data. You're going to have better quality of data, in my opinion, than having somebody input it. Um, so there's that. Uh, next slide here is a go-to-market process with key player steps and accountabilities. So they're going basically from a supplier co-packer with empty pods to a co-packer working with the government um, in Canada to get them to resell at the stores. They finally get to the retailer and finally to the consumer. Uh, this is the picks and shovels play, the ancillary business. Uh, they don't actually touch the plant. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in Europe, it might be a little bit harder um, being a medical device. I would be curious to see if they've been deemed to be a medical device and what kind of roadblocks or issues that might have. So we'll see if they um, if they present that or, or talk about that with Germany and Israel specifically. Right. Uh, consumer validation, uh, strong concept appeal and usage intent. Um, some of the, the benefits are the value with the precision, the simplicity, and the portability. Uh, I, I do note that the portability was the lowest score, so it must be pretty big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely like, like a tobacco vape pen, one of those huge kind of pens. It's not something I would want to put in my pocket necessarily. Right. Um, but I, you know, if it worked all the time, it was convenient and everything like that, strong battery life, then yeah, maybe I'd slap it on my belt. <laughs> and I'm, I, you know, I, I just was saying the other day, I have a whole bunch of carcasses of vape pen batteries, and I'm tired of buying the palm and the other pens and everything and having them break. So I would spend 350 bucks on a big clunky thing if it meant it would work all the time when I wanted it, when it was, if it's reliable and dependable and all these things, the size of it, I would sacrifice having a big pen if it meant that it actually worked. Cause honestly, I mean, it's 2021. And the fact that vape pens still are terrible, uh, the batteries and the carts, the whole system is terrible. So somebody needs to figure that out. Uh, more than six years on the market is way too long to have the vape carts clogging, leaking, not working, the batteries dying, uh, not holding a charge, not being reliable, all that. It's garbage. So somebody like this needs to come up with something. Agreed. So they compare themselves to oils and soft gels and edibles. Um, so I'd like to see something that has other competitors. Um, I can't remember, was it Firefly or something that we saw um, between Canacon and um, the Lyft Expo? There's, there's, about three, three or four other competitors doing something similar. 
Uh, yes, uh, I'm going by memory here, but I think Arrow has something. I think Rika has something uh, very similar, and Rika definitely has been on the market for uh, two years already, uh, if not three. Uh, and the the Rika unit is much smaller, um, but uh, we'll we'll see what they have to say about their competition because I really don't think that comparing themselves to a soft gel, which is the traditional manner of me measuring dosage, uh, just uh, self-injecting the, the soft gels with whatever you want. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know what they're comparing themselves to soft gels for, Josh. I don't understand the point of that. Mm. All right. Well, let's move on to the ready to drink beverage sector um, and some, some other successful brands that they're looking at cure leaf being one of them that has um, this other product. So basically kind of a, a Mio, like a little droplets. Um, they have little droppers of dosing. And so the this kind of product validation, I guess, showing that if Cure Leaf is selling one of these kind of little droplet things that maybe there's um, room in the market for more of a, a device as well. I, I I like the fact that they've brought up Cure Leaf here because Cure Leaf makes a a little uh, squeeze bottle of, with different flavors so that you can make your own drink and uh, or and put as much uh, uh, THC or as little THC in it as you want, uh, be it coffee or, or soda. I don't know, I'd put lemon lime in my coffee, but <laughs> you know, either way. Uh, the, the problem is Cure Leaf is a behemoth in this country and going up against a little flavored dropper uh, like the Mio, like you said, uh, it, it's going to be tough to sell something that's a lot bigger and uh, on the sole differentiator being dosage. Um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how they do. Yeah. So 60% of the people that are trying this product want over a hundred milligrams. So to my point earlier, I would use it for that purpose of Otherwise, it's there's already products there. So why would you spend money on a device to get something that you know is already being sold over the counter? I think one of the biggest roadblocks they're going to have is not having somebody like Curaleaf, a strategic partner to fill those proprietary pods, has been an issue we've seen over and over again. Um, you know, we've we've traveled to places like New Mexico and we've seen pitches where they've had tabletop units that are really neat that make customizable oils and everything else. But all of those carts are proprietary and require every single farm to then fill your special unit. Um, I just don't see that happening in a regulated market like the U.S. where each state uh, is different. For the same reason you don't see infused coffee in all of these states it's because it's really expensive so if you can find one single producer like you know cookies for example then they can carry that to all of their markets Cureleaf has that option now and so that's what i would roll with in canada i would i don't even i wouldn't even mess with it in the u.s and outside of california 
probably the only market I would I would mess around with something like this that has a proprietary cartridge because I haven't seen anybody else outside of packs be successful. And I would argue PAX isn't really successful because they've wasted a ton of investment capital to get where they're at. And they still have an incredibly small market share. Uh, agreed. The, the My concern about uh, manufacturing the, the, the unit and the pods and then handing them off to somebody else is you, you lose quality control. Uh, and you run into some issues. Uh, and so when the, when the consumer in Spokane has a negative experience and the consumer in Seattle has a positive experience, uh, your reviews are just gonna tank. And having, I just personally don't like giving up the control of, of the, of the product to, to somebody else. And that's my problem with the, with the business model. And that gets to your point, Josh, of the, the way it's currently set up in the U.S. is you need to have a co-packer in every state and have uh, every quality assurance and quality control program. It, it just be cost prohibitive uh, as compared to something like cookies, which is in many states, or cure relief, which is in many states, and, and they can control it. It is the requirement for business development. Uh, you need a whole team of people going into each state and just duplicating all of your efforts. It would be um, a monumental task that you would need Curaleaf's budget to accomplish something like that, in my opinion. Right. Um, so obviously the more pods that are made, the lower the cost. So they're gonna be able to get the pod costs down to a dollar if they manufacture a million. In the meantime, it's gonna be four bucks. It looks like. I, I like this slide. I like that they're giving us the cost of goods sold and they are comparing their cost of goods sold. Uh, but even $4 a pod is very expensive. It, it's very, very expensive for, for effectively a, a, something you throw away, um, especially in a very price sensitive market like cannabis. Yeah, in Washington State, that $4 cost would be a $12 cost to the consumer as the retail shops triple what producer and processors sell. So in case you didn't know, it's not vertically integrated. Retailers are separate. They set the price in Washington State, and it's 3x. So three of your cost of goods sold is not something that consumers, they're not going to spend $12 on your packaging. Um, right. Not here, not ever. Um, so I think that's going to be an issue that 75% gross margin is going to have to come way down in order to compete against other vape, um, you know, products, vape pens, you know, it's not, it's not a, a ready to drink model, but it is a product you're going to compete against. And so all of those costs are going to have to be taken into consideration. Certainly, especially when your competition is just a bottle and a dropper with milliliters marked on the side. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and the soccer mom doesn't want um, the ritual. They want just the, the dropper, the bottle, and then they're done. They don't want the dab rigs, the torches, the, the you know, that's why they, the pre-rolls are white women 50 and older. It's a very interesting demographic, but they don't want anything else. They want to light it, they want to go, and they don't want to have anything else with them. So, yeah, uh, yeah something to think about. So looking at the uh, milestones or a roadmap here, 
um, working prototype uh, was was happening last year. They filed some patents in the meantime, co-packing partnerships and branding partnerships, approved for sale in Canada. That's huge. That's going to be, um, that happened fourth quarter in 2020. Um, looking at some other strategic partnerships and they are ready to manufacture um, you know, as we speak, second quarter 2021 with full scale manufacturing um, ready to launch here, uh, you know, as shortly as next month. Uh, you know, my uh, bias against products that haven't been sold yet. Right. <laughs> yeah, show me the money, right? So let's see what their uh, intended revenue um, is 10 million for next year. 59 million in 2023 and 132 million in 2024 with the bulk of that being in the U S. So I'd like to see how they're going to do that. Um, because this, I think that those financial projections are asinine, uh, just the pod alone, because they're not going to be selling, uh, the, the cannabis in the pod. And there is basically a wholesale model to to sell 134 million dollars of these things in two years um good luck good luck that's a lot of money that, uh, that's a lot of them at four dollars each uh <laughs> that is a heck of a lot of these pods uh especially when there's competition on the market and they're not first it's not unique uh, I, I really, really question those numbers, Josh. So they're saying their quick expansion is due to their focus on the hardware, not the cannabis and their scalable business model with regional partners to run the ecosystem with local co-packers. So that's their plan. Um, they show some potential acquirers. So with exit opportunities um, across vape pen hardware companies, cannabis, alcohol, tobacco, big pharma, and CPG companies. Um, I think there, some of the information on this slide relating to an exit, first of all, I'm very glad they have an exit slide. Uh, uh, investors always wanna know how they're gonna get their money back. Uh, but I think that this is misplaced. Uh, PAX is not going to acquire this company. They already have their pod unit and they're already established. Uh, and it's much smaller uh, than, than uh, the Voyager. Um, big tobacco, big alcohol, which they have listed as possible acquirers. Uh, Philip Morris already has their vape unit. Uh, they're done. Uh, they've invested billions of dollars. It's already on the market and tested in Israel. They are not going to acquire Voyager. Uh, the only possible acquirer on this list is Jazz Pharmaceuticals. And Jazz Pharmaceuticals is, is a pharmaceutical company, of course, but they care about dosage and they care about milligrams when you are giving medicine to babies. Uh, yeah, uh, accurate dosing is very important to them, but it is so important to them that they would develop their own. Uh, and they're certainly, Jazz Pharmaceuticals is certainly not going to get in a co-packing situation with, with Voyager. 
So while I applaud their inclusion of an exit opportunity slide, I think that their listing of potential acquirers is a little off base, Josh, just like their comparison slide is a little off base. Mm. They did mention the team. Like that. You got the CEO, chief operating officer, president, and then advisory board. I, I like this. Uh, I, I can look up these people. They provide their backgrounds. Uh, they have a breadth of experience, all of which is important. So good on them for including this slide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like how they listed out in the companies down here. You can kind of just take a quick glance and see it. So that's good. And the uh, Levo, Levo oil infusion is, so this is a, a product very similar to his, a desktop unit though. So mm -hmm. um, he should be able to find out from Christina, the CEO, how she was able to go out and get strategic partners. So um, obviously having organogram, that's going to be huge uh, on the board of directors. So uh, Pepsi. Did Levo ever take off? I mean, we saw that at the marijuana show several years ago. Uh, I never saw it on the market. Did you? Um, so I've seen the, the Levo, Levo on like Facebook being sold. What we saw on the marijuana show is a different product. I don't even remember what the name of it is, but no, they're still looking for capital. They're still pitching. Um, and I think they're still running into the same issues of trying to find enough people to fill their proprietary carts. It's, right. it's hard, hard to do when you have 30 something odd, you know, different carts that need to be filled. Like how many people want to sign up for that? It's when you don't have customers demanding it, it's, it's hard to kind of in the cannabis industry, there's so many ideas. Business development is really challenging because it, it, there's a lack of focus already. <laughs> so. Right. All right. Investment opportunities, series, uh, series a round. I think they're looking for 1.6 million US dollars. Um, ah, this is this is troubling, Josh. Uh, Pre-Series A, they're trying to raise 1.6 million dollars, which honestly is not a lot of money. Uh, uh, and post-money valuation is 242 million dollars. Uh, am I am I crazy here? Am I missing something? Maybe something is off. They're saying four million dollars pre-money valuation and two hundred and forty-two million post-money valuation. Uh, those numbers are crazy, and it makes me question the. Uh, the board that approved this pitch deck, <laughs> like where where is that valuation coming from? Uh, maybe they're missing a zero. I I don't I don't know. Um, I would. But I this would is confusing. It. Yeah, I would clarify this. I because if this is one point six million dollars, I would definitely put a dollar sign there. And then if these are shares and one hundred sixty million shares are that the founders have, then I would. I'd probably make that a little bit more clear because um, total post money share, you know, like that, I, I guess I would get rid of that post money. Uh, when you're talking about shares, these are, I'm assuming 242 million shares outstanding. And this is how it's divided. 
looking for another $1.6 million worth from an overall, I think, uh, $5.6 million. They had a seed round. They got $450,000 and $4 million out of the, I'm assuming, five point six. Either way, it's not very clear. <laughs> so. This slide is, is very confusing uh, because the text, uh, the chart uh, says one thing and the text says another. Uh, the chart talks about 160 million to the founders, uh, 448 million, excuse me, 48 million for uh, the current round. Uh, and then it talks about dollars. So it, it just does not make a lot of sense. And then in the microscopically small print at the bottom, it says basically they are raising money at uh, 0.0412 cents per share. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, that helps. Uh, but I just, it, the slide needs some, some work there. But I do like the fact that they have a slide that says, hey, this is how much we want. Um, and $1.6 million is, is not really a lot of money. I don't know, given, given how advanced they are, why they're only raising $1.6 million. Yeah. Uh, so Might be because they haven't even sold one yet. Yeah, well, I would also include what you get. So 1.6 million, um, you know, what is the discount? What's the rate? What's, you know, what are you getting in return for that? With the pre-money valuation of 8 million, it's a little steep for me uh, being 2021 pre-money. Um, it was, is that a discount, a massive discount? So I think investors overall are going to look at pre-money um, or not look at it at all. <laughs> and if they do, they're going to discount it significantly, I think. Um Use of the proceeds, this is good. So out of that $1.6 million, um, what they're going to use 21% of it for is research and development. Um, and then all the way down to marketing at 5%. I like the inclusion of this slide. And investors always want to know where their money is going to go to the best of their ability. Uh, and they don't talk about any uh, debt repayment. So, so this is a good slide. I, I like this slide. And then that is it. So did Voyager identify the business plan goals? Yes. Okay. Did they know their investor audience? They used a lot of catchwords and uh, buzz phrases. <laughs> uh, and, and so I like that. Uh, but the problem is they didn't really, uh, they didn't, they didn't take it that step further. Uh, so they said potential acquirers, but I think they identified the incorrect acquirers. Uh, they, uh, I, I like the fact that they had an ask, but their ask was confusing. So Josh, I, I'm going to give them a half a point there. All right. How about understanding the market? I think that they went out and tried to understand the dosing market, but I don't think they, they made it there. Um, they didn't talk a lot about why someone would want dosing. I mean, they did say people don't want to smell and they did say 
uh, things like that. But um, I, I don't necessarily think they understand the market, Josh. Okay. What about identifying needs and roadblocks? That sort of gets to the understanding the market as well that we that you and I discussed, where uh, reliance on co-packers is a very, very difficult business model, and they did not talk about any type of QA or Q QC program uh, to um, bolster their reliance on these third parties. Um, so understanding the market uh, and their failure to identify these issues as roadblocks makes me question their understanding of the market. So uh, both of those in this case sort of go together for me. And I, I don't think that they have really addressed uh, the needs and roadblocks. And specifically, if they're going into Europe, uh, is this a medical device and has it been approved? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um medical device would be huge as well as trying to get strategic partnerships. Um, I would have, I would have probably emphasized that a little bit more because I think that's going to be a massive roadblock. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Like talk to talk about your partnerships with um, organogram, what you learn from Levo and uh, how you plan on, on getting it. On how, I'll plan on how you are going to make $132 million in sales. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's, yeah. that's important. Um, and I guess that's maybe involving a little bit more of team um, business development and, and I mean, not talking about who's going to do what, but how, how you're going to get there, I think would probably give some people peace of mind a little bit. They did introduce the team. They did, it did introduce a product. So they're going to get a full point for that. Um, but I think the, like you mentioned, um, are we getting ahead of ourselves? Did we talk about a secret sauce? <laughs> we didn't talk about secret sauce, right. but it goes uh, in this case, Josh, you have the understanding of the market, the roadblocks, and what sets your business apart. They, 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 in this case, they're sort of intertwined. They didn't address who their true competitors are. Uh, they did mention CureLeaf, but CureLeaf does not have a dosing device. CureLeaf has a little squeeze bottle. And so do you really want to compare yourself to a squeeze bottle? Um, if you do, and a squeeze bottle is your nearest competitor, why would I buy this dosing device? Um, because I can measure by milligrams. Um, you and I talked about the make your own drink, even their own graph for make your own drink. Those people are looking for a hundred milligrams. They, they don't really care about one or two milligrams. So three, four, and five, uh, market roadblocks and secret sauce. I think they struggled with here, Josh. Mm. All right. Um, so creating a summary, did they have a call to action at the end? We did get, you know, an ask wasn't totally complete with details on, on discounts and, um, and the like, but they did create a summary. They did. They had an ask. So I'm going to give them a point. Uh, their ask was confusing, but at least they had one. Uh, and it, I think that if they retooled this pitch deck with more accurate comparisons, do not compare yourself to a soft gel, do not compare yourself to Cura Leaf's squeeze product and flesh it out a little bit, they would have done a lot better. 
um, and just simply on their ask slide, don't, don't interpose dollars and shares because it's confusing. Uh, and then the last piece of advice that I had with, for them is their, their financial projections going to from uh, you know, $10 million to $132 million in two years. How in God's green earth are you gonna do that when you're not unique? Uh, and your customer base is 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 pretty small. Uh, I don't. I think they can flesh that out a little bit. And then the last piece of advice I have for them is it doesn't appear that they've actually sold a single one of these um, on their timeline. They said uh, that they're going to be in production in Q2 of 2021 with full manufacturing in Q3 of 2021. So if you haven't even started producing them yet, how have you sold any of them yet? And I, I, I would flesh that out a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that about wraps this one up. So, all right, let's roll this one up. I want to thank my guest, Katrina Glogowski, angel investor and attorney. Thanks for being on the Talking Hedge. Thanks, Josh. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out a major journey today on all major podcast platforms.